right, Jackson. Episode number seven. We're yes, moving sir. right along. <laughs> yep. So Jackson has stopped in at my house with his family to, I guess, break the ice of their family vacation with a podcast recording. Dude, it's so funny. The kids. So we're going to an amusement park, you know, and in these regions, you want to go to an amusement park, you got to jump in and, and drive like the nearest ones. I think it's we're going eight hours or nine hours away. And they've been saving for months to do this. And so, you know, got them up early this morning, load them up, and then told them that we're, we're going to swing through Fairfield and do a podcast. <laughs> they even Lash, and Lash is so like always up and chipper. And yeah, she's like, do we have to stop? <laughs> she's just going on in her little, you know, in her way. And she wasn't super excited, but I was like, come on. <laughs> it's, all, it's only an hour and a half extra and of course once they get here they're out running around and they're not going to want to leave when it comes time to go they're gonna be like can we just hang outside a little longer how funny so i got up and i i am artificially inseminating my cow herd this year my mighty herd mm-hmm. of 25 now here's the thing though about your 25 like that sounds in terms of a ranch and like running cattle sure it's a quote mighty herd right <laughs> with sarcasm but what you've done with your little herd i'm super impressed with because you're like totally maximizing the little bit of ground that you have and your hobbying is starting to really bear some fruits i think yeah it's been an interesting collection of of cattle we started with a couple belted galloway cows which look like oreo cookies yeah just we wanted a couple cows and they're they're kind of a, they're a striking cow to look at and then it seems every year we end up with bottle fed calves orphan calves dad picks them up over at the auction he sees a deal that's too good to pass up and doesn't ask basically calls and says i've i got seven seven extra (laughs) calves to bottle feed for you i remember that but i think over the the past few years of those bottle fed calves i think we were averaging about 160 dollars a calf there's a little window in spring where those bottle fed calves aren't worth anything. Just previous to that, they're worth, I don't know, sometimes four to $500 because you have a cow who has lost a calf and you're trying to get a, a calf on her. Because of the calving season. Because like the calving season. You know, January through March, those three months, it's like everyone's calving. So if somebody has a stillborn calf or whatever, you can actually buy a calf if someone has maybe, say, for example, a set of twins. You can buy a calf, buy one of the twins, and that mom will actually adopt the calf. And, and you can raise it. You know, she'll raise the calf. You can keep the cow. And, yeah, ranchers will go a long ways to, to keep their cow herd intact by using a... So Weston is our brother. Yep. Didn't you and Weston one year buy a bunch of real either high risk or late term or or something cows calved them and just pulled those calves and sold those calves. We did. Yep. We bought, they were, they were basically old, really old cows that were on their last, this would be their last season of life and nobody wanted them. They would have sold just to go to slaughter, but we found a little niche where we could buy the cows, bring them home and let them have their calf. And then use that calf basically as an adopt a calf to other ranchers that, you know, maybe had a young, fresh cow that had lost a calf. Yeah. So it worked, it worked good. Yeah. There's that window where those, those new calves are worth a a pretty good chunk. Yeah. Clear through calving. And then you get right at the beginning of spring and they go from four, sometimes $500 a calf to a hundred to 150 a calf because people got to start farming. They don't have time dealing with bottle fed calves. And so that's when we would pick those up and trying to think of my herd, my herd, I'm 25, hey, 25 cows. Herd, herd is a herd, man. My little collection. I have got a, a number of really nice cows out there who were just bottle calves that I decided to keep instead of, you know, selling once they were, were weaned off that bottle. And so I've just retained heifers and collected cheap, weird situations and now I've got 25 cows out there. Thing is, it, there's two good things about it. One, it's a smart way to grow because you, you built your herd from nothing, you know, super cheap. And the other thing is when you bottle feed calves, they end up being like super, super gentle and just real docile and a much 
less chance of them going berserk and ending up in an irrigation canal, you know, north of town somewhere. Very true. <laughs> so we put cedars. So my wife and my son, Ozzy and I, we put the cedars in the cows today. Those cedars stay in for a week and you pull them out. And then along with some other hormone injections, they start cycling soon after that. And, and what do the cedars do? What's the purpose? Yeah, it is a progesterone, I believe, but it keeps them from going into estrus, going into heat. Okay. It stops them from going to heat. You give them what's called Fertigel. I'm not even sure which hormone that is. You give them the shot at the same time the cedar is placed inside of them. And then when you pull the cedar out, you give them another shot of something called Estromate, another hormone. Mm -hmm. And then about three days later, they will start cycling. And then that's when you inseminate. So this whole process is to synchronize and get all your cows to come into heat at the same basically the same period same yeah. window i have a a galloway bull who i have been breeding to and he's out in the pasture a couple hundred yards from where i have all the cows in the corrals as they're as they're going through this process and that poor bull is going to be downwind of all <laughs> of these cows in heat at one time he's going <laughs> to lose his mind i'm really curious to see what he does out there you guys, it's hard. If you've seen it, you'll know. But when cattle come into heat, bulls can smell. It's the miracle of animals. They can smell. They can smell it from a mile away, you know, <laughs> further. And, and that's one or two at a time when the whole herd of 25 all start shooting out their pheromone love signals. That poor bull. <laughs> and he's, gonna go crazy. he's got a foghorn. Ah, uh, a foghorn bell or two. Uh -huh. So the whole the whole area is going to hear him uh, just bellering for a, I for saw a few him. days. He's a stud. I saw him out there. Uh, no pun intended. I saw him out there when we pulled in. Yeah, he's looking like he's ready to roll. So you might ask, why am I artificially inseminating if I've got a big stud bull out there? Right. That's um, a good question. I really like these Galloway cattle. They are really easy keeping. They develop a really long hair. They, they handle the winter here really well. They're smaller, so they're smaller framed cows. So they're just a little more, a little easier maintenance than these, these big. Meaning they, they're not as hard on things. They eat less. Yeah. They're just easier. But because they're not a traditional beef breed, you know, Angus, Hereford. And in Montana. Charlotte, that they're very traditional with the i mean like a galloway in montana is definitely on the fringes like what <laughs> so you get discounted through the auction right. yeah. but what i found is if i have a one of the more traditional beef breeds cross that with a galloway i have a half galloway cow okay who is really easy keeping and then you breed her back to a beef breed and so then that calf is only a quarter galloway and you can't even tell the difference and they don't get discounted at the sale. Ah, so you're trying to incorporate the physical appearance somewhat of the traditional breed and get some of the size attributes, the easy keeping, low impact attributes of the Galloway, put them together. So you get low input cattle and you still get the market price. Market price for the calves out of them. That's a great idea. So I'm inseminating my cows to a bull from Calvo. Red Angus out of Nebraska. Really excited. I'm not going to go in right now to all the reasons I, I chose this bull. But I, as I thought about it, I think my main goal here, I've got about 100 ewes that I'm, I'm retaining my female sheep as well. I want to get a, a big mixed semi-load of cattle, sheep, maybe some goats. I don't If I come across an old horse, for you to haul. So <laughs> <laughs> this is what dad used to do. <laughs> He used to, I mean, whatever could go on that truck. We could just do a reunion tour, pick dad up in Lewistown on the way and find somebody in South Dakota to buy this load just for old time's sake. But I, I just want to, I want to be able to put a load together here out of this property of, you know, I never whatever. thought of it like that, you know, cause that's what most, most cattle, like straight cattle ranches, they want to have the, the, the right number that allows them to have full semi load lots. And I never thought about that with the sheep, that you have the cattle and then you can start filling with sheep. So uh, yeah, there's a, a guy named Nelson Nash. He passed away a couple years ago. He created a, a banking concept called infinite banking through whole life insurance policies. 
really kind of a fascinating, interesting, interesting thing if you want to go check that out. But I was listening to him once and he was talking about keeping money within a family and you can build generational wealth by keeping money within a family. He always sought anything that his extended family needed, they would try and find a way to provide those services to each other. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I'd like you to haul this is like my this, livestock yeah. to keep that money in the family. And then I can bring my cavitized children to your dental practice. And I know I, I, this isn't the first time I've talked about maybe providing services for each other. You know, this idea yeah. that I might be like a hint that I'd like to get paid for all the dental work I do <laughs> within the family. Okay. Noted. <laughs> I'll make sure Haley listens to this episode. No, but seriously, it's, it is hard to charge family members for services. Right. Because it just feels, you're like, hey man. You just help each other right, out. Right. But if you think about it, if I make money outside from somewhere else and I bring it in to my household and then I hire you to haul livestock for me, that money stays in the family. You pay for dental work. That outside money has come in and now it doesn't leave the family. Stays in, yeah. That money stays in the family. Nelson Nash, he talked about, about that, you know, keeping money in families. The whole key here is the, the full circle. Because it seems weird when it's just like, oh, I've got, and you guys, I'm, I'm really in a good spot because I have a brother who's a lawyer and a dentist. And so I got to figure out how to complete the circle. <laughs> but it's, that's the whole key to this, to it, you know, making sense is that it has to, the circle has to complete. It's not just one family member just dishing out, you know, oh yeah, I'm helping everybody with their dental work or whatever. It has to come full circle. Yeah. But you, you pay, you pay for services, right. but the money stays in the family. So Nelson Nash, I, I heard him talking and he was talking about keeping money within families and the fact that he was of the opinion that not only should you not, not charge family members, but you should charge them more than you charge anyone else. <laughs> Just to because continue it, the... And he gave the example of, there was a, I don't know if you ever heard of the Tulsa race riots. Oh, I think it was in the 1920s, maybe. An area outside of Tulsa, if I remember correctly, it was called Greenwood. It was an area where, they actually called it the Black Wall Street. It was an area outside of Tulsa where a lot of black families had come together and they created a community and they became very, very well off. Economically, mm -hmm. they did great. And Nelson Nash was talking about this area i wish i could remember the exact the exact statistics he talked about in a community when money comes into a community it usually changes hands like two or three times and then the money leaves the community okay but within this greenwood area of tulsa this black wall street area that was the nickname money would change hands like 12 to 15 times before it left the community meaning that this group of people they provided all the services they needed for each other and it led to this extremely successful economic situation so much so that jealousy animosity whatever ended up being one of the biggest race riots in american history you don't hear about it very really much don't. it was really covered up really quiet estimates vary 30 to 300 people dead during it they, oh. they don't know for sure but i mean tragic horrific point being is I've kind of always, I don't know, a fantasy that might be a little bit too aggressive of a word. Yeah. But kind of this thought or this idea that it would be anything to develop a, a group or a community that subscribes to this idea where everyone provides services to each other. So as you work outside jobs and bring money in, you have this group that the money doesn't have to leave. Well, and it's not, it's not to be mistaken with like, a, don't mistake this with like a communist feel. It's not everyone's the same, y'all just the same. It's you do your thing, you do your stuff, but it's all your, your group has everything, has everything within it. Yeah. You, you pay for all your services, but once money comes into your community, it doesn't leave because that money just changes hands within the community. Anyway, it was, it was a really interesting idea. That was kind of a little tangent on me wanting you to start paying the next load of <laughs> stuff for me. Got it. Last episode, we sat down and you were trying to, bring a little bit out of me of some of my past history. Yeah. And I admit I was a little bit uncomfortable, disconcerted by it. And I, I spent the last week kind of thinking about it, wondering why, why that was. Yeah. And I, as I reflected on it, when you were talking about me dyeing my hair blue, 
I'm just embarrassed by it. I understand where you're coming from. You're trying to point out something about me. And I, I realized that I needed to put myself back into time and place because we're talking mid-90s, small rural town, Montana. Everything's real conservative. There's going to be a, almost a dress code. Right. It's going to be either Wrangler jeans or tapered Levi jeans that are a remnant from the late 80s. Uh-huh. Real stylish in the late 80s that rural Montana, it takes, you know, five to 10 years for Always. the style to yep. catch up. So Always. you would go find a pair of basketball shoes to wear with those jeans. You know, your tapered Levi's. Yeah, you're really painting a picture here. I'm and enjoying your The t-shirts were real important. It needed to be a t-shirt that usually was a cartoon character of some athlete or some, you know, a Jordan shirt or a Barkley shirt or a whatever. It, it wasn't a sports team shirt. It was a specific player. Person and always animated. You're right. They did those. Yep. Yeah. You needed to have a starter jacket. Mm. Those starter jackets that were, you know, real colorful you know, kind of the big blazes on the sleeves of, of a sports team. So that was kind of, and it was, and then as far as the haircut went, it was generally, I'm going to call it a, a conservative mullet. Okay. You had it on mid forehead on the front, you know, tight on the sides, ear level. Yeah. And then you could have just a little bit of length on the back. Not um, enough to call it a mullet, but yeah. just kind of like, well, that's what. That was across the board. That was pretty much everybody. Unless you were like a cowboy. And then there you wore maybe a Western shirt and a Wrangler, same haircut. Yeah. And that really hasn't changed today. You know, they still, <laughs> so it's still the same. So I guess what I'm saying is at that point, I don't think I knew a single person who had ever dyed their hair, mm-hmm. any color, let alone blue. Right now, I don't think I know a single person who has not dyed their hair. <laughs> Times have changed. So when, when you're, when you bring that up about me dyeing my hair, is it was like this thing. I was kind of in my moment now where I was like, that's not a thing. <laughs> Everyone dies hair. It's not, it's not a thing. So I was just, you really have to rewind. And, so I felt kind of, yeah. I felt kind of silly that you were bringing that up. And, uh-huh. and I, I was very hesitant to talk about it. And it. I haven't listened to that episode. I felt embarrassed by it. It might be a horrible episode. And if it is, I apologize. Oh, well, it's just another episode. So, I wanted to clarify if that I was, you probably thought I was being real difficult. You're trying to get something out of me and I'm just not wanting to stop. Just not letting her loose. So, you know, in the context of what you were saying that you were trying to say, I kind of do my own thing or did my own thing. Okay. Then yeah, it really was an unheard of thing. And it did create a lot of conflict with the administration of the school, believe it or not. I mean, now there's probably, I mean, Kids come with a different color of hair every day. It's not a thing. I don't think those administrators would have survived if you had time warped them from the 90s to today and the things that go on in the schools today. I think they would drop dead of a heart attack on the spot. Yeah, that was a, you know, when I, as I reflected on, again, time and place, a lot of the decisions I made and how I carried myself and my interests it was based off of my interest in music. Which was huge for you. Music was huge. Oh, I'm trying to think. Okay, so the popular music would have been, you know, when I was in high school, late 80s bands, Poison, Guns N' Roses, you know, bands like that. Yeah. Also country music, Garth Brooks type country music. Yeah. That was a big thing. And then if you were real edgy, you'd probably listen to like Coolio, Gangster's Paradise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. if you were real on the edge, you were, you're listening to that. That was kind of what was going on. And I, I had a moment where I discovered something totally different. Mm. It was a used CD store. Is that what it was? It was a used CD store I, I discovered. And I got to know the guy who ran it a little bit. And Oh, so he'd like funnel you stuff that's like, hey. And he wasn't from the area. He had moved in and opened this up. And he, there was an old Beckman's department store in Great Falls. And on the upstairs of this department store he had put in this cd store and a coffee house mm. which this was way this was before yeah mid 90s you know they only did that in seattle yeah and here great falls <laughs> great falls like, montana has this and no one knows about it yeah really um, yeah and then in down in the, the bottom part of this he would bring bands in and have bands play and so it was this thing i discovered and so i i wasn't allowed to do a lot as the first child yeah 
But of all the things I was not allowed to do, somehow I was allowed to go at all hours of the night to watch bands play. And I remember that. I remember, I remember Beckman's. I, like I couldn't go out with my friends on a weekend. Yeah. Past <laughs> but you could go 10 to- minutes after the basketball or football game ended. <laughs> but in the middle of the week on school nights, I could be out till one o'clock, two o'clock watching bands play as long as I was up for school the next day. Uh-huh. And so, so some of, some of the things that I, 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 I guess the way I carried myself and interests were really based off of this this new kind of wave of music coming that was alternative. I guess, in fact, this is a funny thing. The alternative music in the nineties, you know, it was that transition from the hair metal bands of the eighties into, you know, you start getting Nirvana, Pearl Jam, you know, everything that spawned from that. It was called alternative. Mm -hmm. A couple months ago in the dental chair, I always play music in the dental chair and I'd asked the, the patient in the chair and what, what she wanted to listen to. And she goes, let's listen to alternative music. So I, yeah, cool. That's my music. You know, yeah, that's yeah. right. My formative music years. So I, I turned on the alternative music. I turned on alternative music, yeah. alternative station. And she came in, she goes, what are we listening to? I go alternative. She goes, Hmm. I go, what's going on? And she goes, well, I thought like Mumford and Sons is alternative. And that's when I realized that, <laughs> I got an old yeah, and, and there was also a, a new alternative versus it changes with time old alternative anyway for the record old alternative is the best it just is yeah I'm partial to it so anyway that that's See, me kind of apologizing for maybe a really okay. crappy episode okay, last time well that's I'm glad you put that out and I just help you know provide a little more context so you establish yourself as kind of a standalone in a lot of ways i felt like from my perspective yeah and i let me say this i'm not the first person who thinks that music has set them apart from (laughs) everyone else so i'm not by any means being that person who's like oh i like that band before they even put a cd out because let me tell you this really quick because i just had an experience the other day so i went into uh the car quest store in lewistown to uh, get i don't remember what it was get some parts for my truck and I'm sitting there at the parts counter and Bill, who's been there for years and years, goes, hey, and I apologize if if this guy ever hears this, but I can't remember your name. But anyway, kind of a younger guy, but full white beard. And he goes, hey, so-and-so, here's a drummer. I'm like, oh, hey, right on. And Bill's like, if you ever need a drummer in your band, you know, hit him up. And I'm like, appreciate it. You know, we've got a guy right now, but sometimes he's unavailable. And so I start chatting. They were mixing some paint for me. So I was there for 30 minutes at the counter waiting. And so I start chatting with this guy. And sure enough, he's, he just moved to Lewistown from Missoula, which Missoula to Montana is what Seattle was to the United States, basically, as far as, you know, alternative music and whatnot, you know, all through the 90s. And this guy, he's your age. He's probably, he's probably 45. And a white beard? Yeah, totally white. Oh, man. Full white beard. It's kind of, kind of bizarre, but. Anyway, so he's telling me, I, I went to school for music and I, you know, I played drums at the University of Montana and I do jazz drums and I do this. I mean, all the drums and all the bongos and bingos and all of it. And, you know, so we're chatting and, and so he's like, so what kind of music do you play? And I'm, it's always hard to, with our band, like, what do you play? We're like, everything that's good? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm trying to explain and I said, what, what do you play? And what you said, this is, this is what triggered this, this memory was he starts naming off these people. That I don't have a clue. He's like some kind of, some form of jazz, some style of jazz I've never heard of. And he's like, have you heard of so-and-so? And I'm like, nope. What about who? Nope. How about these guys? I'm like, definitely none of these people have I heard of. But do you remember that it was that way when you were young, where like your musical prowess was always, you'd come up with the most obscure music that no one's ever heard of but you had somewhere and that was kind of how you'd like it's kind of how you'd show you're like no i'm i know what's up with music because i know all these bands that none of you guys even know so i'm king music around here yeah i love when i find a i come across something that i like and i might mention it to someone else like oh yeah i like them like when before they even had their first record deal, I, f- I found like a, a exactly. an independent record of them exactly. that I liked. I'm like, oh, oh cool. Like, Great. Thank you. <laughs> cool. I really like the song that I heard that's recent, so yeah. I'm good to go. But 
but that, that saturation in music that I had in high school, I mean, I dreamed of being a rock star. Right. But I had virtually zero music talent. I was self-aware enough to know that I probably needed to, if I wanted to be involved with music, I needed to do something different. So I, I got this idea that I wanted to go into music business. Yeah. Okay. Maybe like manage bands. And so that was, that was what I spent maybe my, my junior and senior year thinking that I was going to, going to try and go into music business of some sort. And so I, I probably had some opportunities beyond high school to pursue athletics a little bit. Speaking of student loans, it's probably stupid that if I could have got some school paid for to play a game, <laughs> but I had no, I just, I was done with it. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to pursue, pursue other things. And, and that, I think that interest in music and music business, man, it took me to some, some neat places, but I think ultimately ended me up back here in Montana, believe it or not. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange circle that, that landed you back here. So after high school, after high school, you served a mission for the church in California. And then that led you to some opportunities in that you've actually shared on the podcast with the organic fertilizer. I ended up in Modesto, California, Central Valley. Okay. Working at a company that used to be called Triad. I think they have changed their name to Land and Sea Organics. And uh, two episodes ago, I talked a little bit about that with those end dump trailers tipping over. Yeah. And so with this company, I, and I did a little bit of everything there. We handled organic waste product locally, which that Central Valley is such a big farming area. We would have a lot of our, our waste product that we managed locally. But we also had a humic acid product that we would ship all over the world. So we had a warehouse where we were shipping all the time. And then we were, we were having product locally. And when I say locally, I'm going to say maybe from Sacramento down to Bakersfield. That was kind of the general area that we, that we roamed through with our product, that whole central Valley. Yeah. And so I, you know, I would work in the warehouse, packaging product, loading product, shipping product. I did a lot with helping dispatch the semi drivers, which is how you became... <laughs> involved in the uh, the accident awareness you shared yeah. yeah i did sales i worked as a salesman at times too mm -hmm. going out and talking to so you were definitely right hand man taking care of things whatever needed to be done you were just getting it done whether yeah. it was sales to bagging fertilizer yep I, a little bit of everything and this um, was even this... even driving sometimes it was out driving spreader trucks if we had oh, product really? that had to be spread i'd be out driving spreader trucks spreading whatever on fields just wherever and this was this was before organic really was a thing wasn't it i mean it was a thing it's always been a thing but like now it was when so it was much more than it was when it was real it was up and coming mm -hmm. it really opened my eyes to what organic what it can do what it can do but what the organic label oh i see means yeah okay. i don't yeah yeah you got enough money you can just about get anything certified organic gotcha is what i found out interesting but that's a that's another story for another podcast probably yeah while i was doing that we were close to the bay area san francisco which there's some great music venues so i was i was multiple nights a week going to san francisco watching bands play so i never i never lost this interest in music and i still had always at the back of my mind this idea of of music business okay speaking of spreader trucks yeah i got it <laughs> Spreader trucks and music. I got it. <laughs> Sparked a memory. We had a spreader truck that we would use to spread product for out on fields. And the spreader trucks, we're talking, they have like monster truck tires, big flotation tires on them, right? So they're low impact on the soil. So we talked about straight trucks a while back. Yeah. I would say it was a straight truck, but instead of having a, a, a rack or a, a grain container on the back, it had a big spreader hopper. Yeah. So you got big steel walls and on that angle down to i don't know maybe a, a two foot wide what would you call it kind of a channel along the floor channel on the floor that it all goes yeah. down to and then on this end. channel you had on each side of this channel you'd have chains that would run a loop along the floor and go under the truck and just loop and in every couple feet you'd have 
metal, like a slat that would pull the product to the back. So just keep feeding steady. Yep, exactly. Then the kick out the back. And then there was this spreader. A lot of spreader trucks have mul- multiple spinners. Yeah. This truck had a big, oh, it was probably three and a half foot diameter. This huge, <laughs> big old huge spinner. Uh-huh. So this product would hit it and it would just launch it. Okay. Uh, and the truck had two different controls. One to turn the spinner on and one to turn the the floor on, that chain on the floor. Yeah. I don't know what product we were we were spreading, but it was miserable because it would either bridge. Oh. It was like too wet. It would yeah, it would yeah. bridge and not you couldn't it would bridge over that walking floor. It was not a walking floor, but I'm gonna call it that. A live, you can call it a live, yeah, live floor. It yeah, would always- so you get this tunnel, so you'd have to get up and try and stomp or push or do whatever you, so you have to crawl in the back and do whatever you could to try and get it down to collapse back onto yeah. the floor right or it would do the opposite it would bind up and it would it would lock that floor that moving floor up and it wouldn't move and it was just back and forth horrible yeah. so if you loaded that thing maybe an eighth to a quarter full you could consistently spread it but you're <laughs> And you're you going, stop, yeah. you're, you're stopping to go load up You know, you're driving like down and back and you got to reload. Maybe even not even that much. Really? So you're trying to find this balance of, of not having to keep fighting the, the product in the back versus having to load one trip down the field. So there was one day that we, I was out having to spread this stuff and it was all the problems we were having. I had tickets to a Deftones concert that night in Sacramento with a buddy. And this was when Deftones came out with that album, White Pony. It was their best album, I think. Mm-hmm. They were from Sacramento area, I think. So this was going to be a great show, their hometown show. I had been out there on that spreader and firing up the spinner, firing up the floor, turning it off, everything off. It was a kind of a pain in this truck. And so the floor had stopped. It had jammed up again. And I would usually get out and get a crowbar on the back end of that truck and I get under one of those metal slats and really put a lot of pressure and I could pop it loose. And I had decided that I just was going to leave the spinner on when I did this. Ah, and this is going to get good. <laughs> so as I, as I sat there with the crowbar under the, the floor cranking on, I was watching that spinner. And I remember thinking, this crowbar is probably going to slip out from under here when you have all your weight on it. And when it slips, you're not going to be able to catch yourself and you're going to go down and you're going to cut your hand off on this spinner. <laughs> I, I sat there having this, I, I was having the conscious thought of it. And so, of course, I did not go turn the spinner off. And of course, that happened. Crowbar slipped. My hand fell down on, slipped onto the spinner. And I didn't cut my hand off, but it crushed my thumb. Oh. And uh, almost, instant, almost instantly, my thumb was like twice its normal size. Oh. Just swelling, you know, that just that, that throbbing where you like feel it in your neck and yeah and so i anyway i finished spreading for the day and my thumb just worse and worse and worse and i didn't want to miss this concert so i got home got cleaned up and got in the car and i had my buddy drive because i i couldn't even hardly hold on to the steering wheel my thumb hurt so uh. bad so i i was just so miserable we drove to the concert and we got there and he wanted to be down on the floor which i would normally want to be I was trying to be with him and people just kept slamming into me. You know, they're just jumping oh, around and yeah. kept slamming my thumb. Like I was almost in tears and I couldn't, I so badly wanted to, to see and hear this band play. And I was so distracted. <laughs> You're stupid thumb. So finally I, I told him, Hey, I, I got to go find a place to sit down. I can't stay down here on the floor. And so I, I turned around to walk out and a girl turned around and bumped into me, bumped right into my thumb. And I was like, ah. And then I looked up and she was looking at me with the most odd expression on her face. And then she opened her mouth and projectile vomited no all way. down the front of me. <laughs> no, I did not see that coming at all. Oh, so that was, I thought you were going to say like, turned out it was like the daughter of the farmer. I was spreading something. No, just no. <laughs> so I just, that was it. I said, so I went and sat down and just pouted the rest of the night. Oh, but that was one of those things. You, you know, you smash your thumb if you take a, a needle and heat it up real hot and you can push that down through your thumbnail. Yeah. And then it releases all that pressure in there. That was the first time I ever used that technique. And it was, I wish I had done a lot sooner. It was instant relief. Was it? Oh, 
So my takeaway from this story is that all this time you've been telling everybody like, I'd back dad's semi up one time, like once. And you've been keeping this little card in your pocket, letting everybody know that you were a spreader truck driver and it totally counts, 100% counts as being a trucker. So you're now, you're now full bore. Well, I would take away from the story is turn off your spinners if you're on the back of a truck, <laughs> truck working. Dude, it, it, if you have that thought, because everyone has it where you're like, oh, I've, mm, this wrench slips off. I'm going to literally skin my knuckles off. But you're like, nah, I bet I can catch myself. And you never do. Like, you never do. And you always have the thought. It's with everything. 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 You're like, ah, this, you could see worse. And you're like, ah, oh, no, nah, it's not going to happen. It always does. Can you imagine what it'd be like to be the guy that's always like, this is going to happen. I'm going to stop and change my deal here. But nobody's that person. Everyone's like, nah, nah. Yeah. But to be that guy would be something. So that's, so yeah, I spent a couple years in that Central Valley working for that company. And then I just decided I need to move on. Yeah. And so I had started looking at schools that offered music business and I ended up applying and enrolling at Belmont University in Nashville. So I, I packed up and, and drove from Central California out to Nashville and I walked on on the track team there. This is what was interesting to me. You'd been away from track and I would argue you were, you were a great pole vaulter in high school. But if I was going to pick a sport that you, that I would have thought you'd have played at a collegiate level would have been basketball. And here you end up walking on the track team years since the last time you had ever been on the track. Shouldn't say on the track, on the, in the pole vaulting pit. Yeah, it, I'm not, I, I don't know. I just, you just, just piqued your interest and. I'd always like doing it and said, well, let's see. And I, yeah, so I walked on and the thing about it is we had an unbelievable pole vaulting coach at that school. Uh And you might've heard of Belmont university. They, every couple of years will make the NCAA basketball tournament. You know, it was like a 16th or 15th seed. They'll have a decent basketball team. It's a small, small school, just a few thousand kids enrollment. It's just a small private religious school but they have a really aggressive music business program there. And so anyway, I got sidetracked there. They had this unbelievable coach. Mm-hmm. He had to be pushing 500 pounds. <laughs> he was a pole vaulting coach. Huge. huge. Oh. He, he taught like a, a junior female gymnastics coach. So he like understood gymnastics really, really well. And he understood jumping and throwing in track really well. Huh. I think when he was younger, he was, quite an athletic specimen that got away from him. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not joking when I say 500 pounds, he was huge. He was all of it, huh? huh? Huge. He had this ability to just watch you a couple times and make the smallest tweaks that did odd. Huge differences. Huh. So you were like in high school, you, I'm trying to remember your, kind of your, your personal best, what was it? 12, did you get 13, 12, six? So 12, 12 six isn't that impressive anymore. But, Back in back in your day, back then in in Montana, it was decent. It it's enough that it would place you in state every year. Yeah, once in a while it might win state. It seemed like thirteen six was kind of winning state, wasn't it? There was yeah. always a guy or two. Yeah, about that. Nowadays, twelve six is it's not that impressive. You have high school vaulters who are who are just smashing. But. but but to illustrate the point of where you were in high school to where you got with this coach. Do you 12, remember? 6 to 16 feet. Okay. So he got you going. Okay. And 6, like that's after years of not even doing anything, you just came in, you pick it up, you walk on the team and he's got you just launching. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to illustrate was this, this coach was that good that, you know. Funny, the pole vaulting in Fairfield until my s- senior year, we just, our runway for pole vault was grass. Oh, <laughs> We just dug a, dug a hole with, with a, an old fiberglass box. And for practice, we ran on grass. And, um, you know, now that, I mean. It's all rubber and everything. Fancy. And, yeah, it was, it was. And then, and then my senior year, for, during the summer between my junior and senior year, we laid down a concrete runway, you know, that was about two feet wide. And we just 
I think what we laid on there was like horse stall. Yeah. Like it goes in the horse trailers and stuff. Yeah. That yeah rubber, rubber so mat. we had at least like not on grass. <laughs> Something. I don't know if that was better or worse than the grass <laughs> to tell the truth on the just slamming on that concrete. But, but it looked nice anyway. But yeah. So that's that coach. It was, it was something. Yeah. Working with him. So I was thinking, you know, hearing about all this back home was thinking how cool all this was. And I loved track was my favorite sport. So I'm loving all this. I'm awaiting your first college track meet, having dreams of flying out to watch you pole vault. And next thing we know, you had gotten yourself entangled with a band and music. Well, next thing you know, I was dropping out of school and moving to Los Angeles. Yeah. That, okay. That's, that's the straight way to put it. <laughs> Just like, looks like we're moving to LA. I'm like, what? How'd you get with this band? So again, I freely admit my music talent is almost non-existent. I do not claim any musical talent whatsoever. I could strum a few chords on a guitar along with anyone else who knows how to watch YouTube. You know, which is me. That's where I'm at. I mean, that's yeah. me. So, <laughs> so it's okay. So I'm studying music business. I, I would get up early, right when the library opens, you get a, a window of about two hours where no one else would ever be in the library. And so I would get up early and go, go study and get all my schoolwork done. Let me preface that by saying Belmont University has a really strong music business program. They also have a lot of music performers there. And they also had a lot of people studying like like sound production, stage production. Well, and it's, I mean, it's Nashville. So yeah, that makes so sense. Right in yeah. line with, right. with what you'd expect in Nashville. Belmont University had a big auditorium and they would have these showcases. I think they would have four of them a year, if I remember right. They'd have like a, a rock showcase, a country showcase. I don't remember the other ones, but each, like different genres of music, they'd have these showcases. And so at the showcase, they would have Four performers, whether it's a band or individual singers, whatever, would be at the showcase. And the showcase allowed the performers to showcase their talents, but it also allowed the people who were studying stage production, sound production, to be able to put on a big full concert in a big auditorium, you know, with lights and all the sound and everything during these showcases as well. So it was a showcase for not just the performer, but anyone who's studying a huge range of everything related to music. These showcases were a big deal because they would have some industry people, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> usually some, usually an executive of some kind from record labels in Nashville would come and they would judge these four performances oh, on I these see. showcases. Yeah. And it was not uncommon for the winner of these to end up with a record deal or a publishing deal or something. Just some good exposure, good networking. Yeah. Because it showcases them, it puts them right up front with, you know, industry people when, I mean, every other person you meet in Nashville is the most unbelievably talented singer, performer that you could come across. Uh -huh. The open mic nights in Nashville <laughs> were unbelievable. Uh -huh. The talent, there was, I mean, there was one place, it was Porter and something. I can't remember the name of it. It's been so long, but the open mic night there, you'd, you'd have to submit whatever to get in there and you get two songs. And it was amazing to go to that because the people there had two songs and they would put everything into this because it's hard, hard to get there. And, you know, again, it was a place that uh, industry executives or what talent, whatever scouts, whatever you want to call it, knew that this was a place where they could find new talent. So everyone there performing, this isn't just like your little yeah. local coffee house, open mic night. This is a lot of pressure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. The talent there is unbelievable. And then, you know, every single person that's serving your, you know, you're serving your coffee or you're taking your, your order at the restaurant, people whose talent is beyond anything that I could ever even comprehend. So basically everywhere you look, just amazing musicians, left and right, vocalists. And they're just working music, whatever you know. job they can uh -huh. to try and get discovered. Anyway, at our school, there was this rock, the rock music showcase was coming up. Oh, in a few weeks, you know, and so, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's cool. That's something that does. Yeah, and you so have nothing to do body, with any of it. I have just nothing to do with it. Other than I would, track and you're doing your, I would go attend it and watch it because you have really good yeah. people playing, yeah. you know, it's entertainment. You're going to a concert essentially. So I'm sitting there 
one morning real early studying, I hear someone go, "Mm, um, excuse me. (laughs) And I look up and there's this, there's this girl standing there and she's just a, a petite, quiet, small girl. And she did not projectile vomit on you. She didn't projectile vomit on me. Okay. So that's a good start. And so I look up and I go, yeah. I, and I've never seen someone else in the library this early. And she goes, do you play in a band? And I said, nope. And, I, and she just sat there looking at me. And I said, yeah, no. <laughs> Still don't. I go, I, go I, I mean, do I look like someone you know or something? Because she wasn't leaving. I didn't know what to say. And she goes, no. She goes, I just, you just look like you might. And I said, no. And you're probably the one person in the university that doesn't play in a band. At the- <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably the only one there who doesn't. Right. Yeah. So I kind of went back to studying, but she still just stood there, not saying anything, just looking at me. It was very <laughs> weird, awkward. And so I, I said, I mean, why do you ask? Yeah. And she goes, well, you just look like you might. And she goes, I need to find a bass player. And I said, yeah, not me. I don't play bass. Not you never, nothing, never had. Never touched a bass. And she's like, okay, but she doesn't leave. She just stands there. It's so awkward. I'm like, I, I go, my roommate plays bass. Cause my roommate, my roommate actually, he, he was a studio musician. He didn't go to school there. He was a studio musician and he, he recorded a lot for other, other musicians. And so she goes, oh, did he go to school here? I said, no. And, and then she finally comes out and she says, oh, I, I'm trying to get into the showcase and I lost my bass player. And so what happens to get into this showcase, you have to first submit an audio CD. And from all the submissions of the audio CD, I think they pick like 12, 10 or 12 finalists who then perform in a live audition. And then out of that, they take the top four who play in the showcase. So, yeah. so she, had, wow. she had submitted her audio recordings of her music. And so she had made the live audition, but her bass player, for whatever reason, couldn't play. And there was a rule, like everyone playing a certain percentage of the people had to be students at the school. And so she was kind of scrambling, looking for a bass player. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone. <laughs> but she's still hanging out. She's, she's hanging not out. leaving. Okay. And I don't even remember what was said after this. It was me more trying to, it was just so awkward that she was just standing there looking at me, kind of talking, kind of not. And I said, well, I can play guitar a little bit. I go, I know that the bass guitar is kind of like the top, the bottom four strings on a guitar. (laughs) So, I mean, if you want me to try it, I guess I couldn't. And she like just snapped out. She's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, okay, so. I make plans to swing by her apartment later. She lived on campus and she was going to give me a CD of her music and then give me some charts, which I don't know how to you read don't charts. Know anything. You're like, I don't know anything. So we get, I go pick it up and she, she gives me the charts, kind of walks me through how to, what, how to read these charts. I think I understand it. And so I go, okay, yeah, I'll go, yeah, I'll go listen to this, you know, and see, I'll see if my, my roommate, let me borrow a bass and see, you know, see, and I think, okay, I'm just kind of trying to, Get her to finally not just stand there. <laughs> but uh, although we've progressed to later in the day to picking this up, obviously. So I didn't have anything going on that night. So I actually did go home and, and sit down and kind of mess around with it and figure out how to play these bass lines to her songs. How much time did you have between when that first meet and when you had this live audition? You remember? I think it was about a week. Okay. About a week before this live audition. Which sounds like a lot. You're like, oh, I got a week. But you, you got to realize if you've never played, you're learning, you know, 75% of this is new to you because you just play guitar. So you've got all this new learning to do in a week. And the addition's serious business because you've already made it past the submit your CD. Yeah. Okay. I did go kind of learn it that night. That was just because I was, I didn't have anything going on that night. I was like, yeah, let's play around with it. I was kind of just out of boredom. Yeah. I, I didn't think anything would ever come. I never thought I would see or talk to this girl again. And so I, the next morning she calls me, she's like, so you got, did you learn that stuff? I was like, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, I guess. And she's like, okay, I want you to come over to my apartment and, and I, I, so you can play it and I want to see how it sounds. 
<laughs> I'm like, oh no. That's the best part. <laughs> That's the best part, I promise. Okay. So I go over there and she she turns the song on and I'm playing along with it. And she's like, okay. And as I got to know her, obviously this goes somewhere. Yeah. Jackson has referenced this. When she was wanting to say something to someone, but she wasn't quite sure, she always she put her hand like just under her bottom lip and kind of go, hmm. Hmm. Like when you first met. Hmm. <laughs> and so she's doing that. And I, this is my second day of ever knowing her or not knowing her, just whatever. And she, she's like, okay, that that's okay. And she goes, so if you were on stage, what would you do? I'm like, like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, do you mean, would I just stand there? Or would I jump around or would I dance? She's like, yeah. <laughs> I go, well, like, like I I mean I'd like to think that I wouldn't if I was ever a rock star I wouldn't be boring yeah when you kind of got to feel it it's it's a, and she it's goes a, okay she goes can you show me no oh. and I go like in the apartment right there I'm like in her bedroom and <laughs> like this tight little campus apartment bedroom yeah so she's sitting on the bed and I'm sitting on the chair and we're almost knee to knee and I go you mean you want me to like pretend that I'm on stage right now? Like, how would I perform? She's like, yeah. I'm like, and you probably have all these, of course, in your mind, you know, when you're by yourself in the mirror, you know, you're like, yeah, oh yeah, you're you rock years god, of rocking, rock god right? in the mirror. <laughs> but to do it, and all that comes from the energy in the venue on the stage. Like, it's not like, well, yeah, sure, I'll give you all it, my. So I'm very uncomfortable. And you've never done it before. You've never been on a stage rocking. I mean, like. And I just met this girl the day before. And so, I'm like, I'm kind of stuttering. Like, so I go, well, okay. So I stand up and I've got this bass guitar strapped on. And I, <laughs> and she turns the music on. And it, my body temperature has had to gone up 20 <laughs> degrees. And I'm, I'm sweating. <laughs> and I'm so uncomfortable. And she's sitting on the bed and I'm like, I mean, I'm just a couple feet away from her. Right. She turns the music on and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like taking <laughs> breaths, so funny to I'm me, taking breaths, like trying to, and then on my mind, I'm like, what, like, why in the world do I feel like I have to dance? <laughs> like I, and that's what one it thing is. Is I don't dance. For right. one thing, I don't dance. And I'm like, and then my mind, I'm like, what am I, why do I feel like I need to dance for this girl? I'm still breathing like, whoo. And then I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm count to three and the music's playing. <laughs> and I get where I'm just about to do it. Then, then I can't. And she stops. She goes, you don't need to, you don't need to be embarrassed. It's okay. <laughs> like, oh, well, in that case, sure. I'll, I'm, yeah, I'm fine <laughs> finally, now. Yeah. I said, I finally told her, I said, I don't think I can do this. I said, this is just like, I'm really uncomfortable. I go, I, this is just really weird. Like, I've just met you. <laughs> you're turning your music on and you're wanting me to like, pretend like I'm playing in your bedroom and jumping around and whatnot. It was just so, so uncomfortable and so awkward. I'm dying right now. Like my, my, my neck muscles hurt. Oh, I'm dying. So I end up not doing it. I can't, I, I can't, I cannot, I cannot get myself to do it. And I kept trying where it's like, <sighs> taking these breaths. Like, like imagine if, if you've ever jumped off a big cliff and you're a little hesitant, you're like, okay, one, yeah, you do. Two. Your, you're like <laughs> and then you almost go you're like, oh, and you back off. And that's what I'm doing with standing in her room. And I'm foot away. like, and I'm, I can feel like the sweats just like, like my armpits are all sweat pitting out instantly. And I can feel that sweat dripping down the, my spine. And so I didn't. And she's like, okay, well, that's okay. And she goes, well, let me just think about this for a little bit. And so, now I really think, okay, that, that's it. I'm never going to hear from her again. And by this point, you, you're probably kind of wanting to do this a little bit. You're kind of getting the idea in your head where you're, you're well, now maybe I'm like, disappointed. I'm like, huh, you man, maybe I can be a rock star. <laughs> it's like the dreams are coming. <laughs> so, so uh, like a day later, no, no, it was that, that evening I get a call from her and she's like, so the, the guy that I write my music with, he wants to meet you. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm being auditioned very oddly. Like I'm being auditioned when I don't even play. Right. And so they give me directions to, you know, his address, drive out to his apartment. It's, it's nighttime now. 
And I knock on the door. I can hear just all this scrambling on the other side of the door. And like, this is weird. (laughs) Again, weird. Weird. And so I, I, you know, I knock again and the door opens up about an inch enough for just Just one eyeball. eyeball. (laughs) And I go, you know, whatever, I'm not going to say his name in case he ever hears this and doesn't want to be embarrassed. I'm like, is this so-and-so's apartment? And he just, this eye is just looking at me through this crack. Literally, it's an eye. And he goes, yeah, just wait. <laughs> Door shuts. I think he'll be a good guest someday. <laughs> and I'm, so I'm sitting here going, what? What am I doing? I, like, why are you feeling compelled like you need to do this? And so I, I sit there for a few minutes on the doorstep. In my mind, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm just going to leave. And then. And then it opens up the door and go in. Everything is just like a totally normal, just conversation. Hey, you know, I'm so-and-so. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, what? Like, that's the weirdest thing to open up the door a crack where all I see is your eye and say, just wait. <laughs> when they're expecting me to begin with. <laughs> so anyway, a number of months later, I found out that he thought his apartment was dirty. And he did not want to have someone see a dirty apartment. So he was having me wait on his doorstep while he cleaned his apartment, <laughs> which is just weird. <laughs> so for a dude, you're just like, okay. So anyway, you know, he's more musical, musically interested. He has me play it all again. And, and so I played everything fine. And so they're like, well, do you want to be the bass player for us at this live audition? And I was like, yeah, why not? So. So we killed, killed the live audition, uh-huh. killed it where one of the judges, this live audition was, was going to be with the judge at the showcase. And he was like super excited about it. You know, the music was good with tons of energy and we just killed this live audition. And we got to the showcase and uh, it was a disaster. Oh no. Like I felt like I didn't, I didn't have anything to I was just a crappy bass player. So I, I was like, whatever, I'm just going to run around. And, but the rest of the band really nerves hit them. Well, it was a huge thing for them because they were, I mean, yeah. all for months and years. Yeah. They've been building to this. And and so that, I mean, afterward we have with the judges, they sit down and talk to you and the guy who, the guy who had really liked us at the live audition, he's like, man, he just, I mean, he's like, I'm so disappointed. I was, you know, I was expecting so much and the guitar player in you know what these judges starts talking about like the mints that you know those kind of soft mints you get at, at restaurants yeah i don't even know why he starts talking about how those have a high percentage of fecal matter on them the judge is telling you no oh, our guitar, guitar players telling our judge oh, the judges this? like oh, i don't even know where it's coming from i, I think do. it was just like these weird nerves oh and it just the wheels fell off of it so that went absolutely nowhere oh. because it was just i mean it was a fun experience for me because I'm, there's no pressure on me. I'm just like, yeah, I'm on a stage. And and you guys, you got now Luke. Since those nerves went out, in my mind, you're gonna, you're going to feel dumb me telling you this, but you are the master of stage presence. Luke can rock on stage. Like all my inspirations, like everything I do now, all came from the roots that you planted years ago for the for the pure rock on stage. So. Anyway, I, they asked me to continue playing with them around Nashville. So we, we spent a couple of months playing just different venues around Nashville. And I had a lot of fun doing it. And then I, I got another call to come to the apartment. Uh. I didn't really know what it was, but I got there and it turned out they had, I got to remember the timing of this. The only thing that would have been better the second time at the apartment is if it had been two eyes. Like their heads are stacked. Well, I'm trying to remember the exact timing of this, how it lined up. There was some anxiety when I got there. So this guy that was part of the band, you know, one of the songwriters, producers that we did everything together with, he had an old car that, that didn't work in, in his apartment. You couldn't have junked cars in the parking lot. So he would push this from parking spot to parking spot so it didn't seem like it was a junked car. <laughs> his apartment complex was on kind of on top of a hill and one of the parking lots ended 
right at the edge of where this hill went down and it was a, a pretty forested hill and down at the bottom of it was another apartment complex. Okay. And so this girl who was the singer and guitar player in the band and then this guy who wrote music with her and did a lot of the production and arranging of the music, they were always together doing things and, you know, writing music, you know, they were almost inseparable. They were not a couple, but they, they were connected at the hip. They eat together. They do everything together. And she was over and he was pushing the car and she was just steering it. Cause it's, it just to the new parking, just spot. a new parking spot routine. And so he was pushing it up into this parking spot on the, on the edge of this hill. And she was supposed to put it there. Once they got to the, like normally you pull your car and hit the brakes on, turn off. She was mm. supposed to do that as if you would do it if the car was yeah, running. Right. And for whatever reason, she didn't hit the brakes when he got to the edge of the hill. So he kept pushing and the car started to go down the hill. Like, oh, oh, like out of the parking lot into the grass and, and, and down this hill. Oh no. Now, I would think that if this happens, you go, oh, I better hit the brake. Right. Put the parking brake on, whatever. We'll figure out how to get this back up the hill a little bit so it's not. But instead, she full bails. Oh, opens the out. door and jumped out because she thought it was going down the hill. Instead of just hitting the brake, jumps out the car. And, and he, he doesn't know she jumped out of the car, so <laughs> he keeps pushing. And this is all prior to you arriving. Okay. I think so. Okay. I don't remember the time, but I think this was right before I arrived the second time. It might not have been that same night. It might have been very recently enough that they were discombobulated was, by this. Okay. Um, so she bails out. He's pushing. And then he realizes that this car is going fast that he's pushed it over the hill and he tries to take off running to jump in to hit the brakes on it and he can't catch it. It's going, he told me, he goes, I don't know. He goes, I sat there and watched it steer itself through these trees. He goes, I, and when I look down it, I don't know how you don't hit a tree going down it. I don't know how you don't hit a tree riding a bike down it. It's so forested, <laughs> but I know that it, the car made its way down it. Because it went through the bedroom of an apartment on the bottom. Into the house? Yes, the apartment <laughs> complex. So it, it, this car just weaved itself through these trees, the most random pad or path it took. And it went through the, someone's bedroom of an apartment down at the bottom. Oh no. Now this kind of story is daily type occurrence for these two. <laughs> as I became more connected with them and as I ended up moving to Los Angeles with them, the the things that they found themselves in, I've never been around anything like it. I'll have to tell some of those stories oh, sometime. Yeah, there's some good ones. But anyway, I get to their apartment, they're pretty discombobulated, but they proceed to tell me that they're moving to Los Angeles because the type of music they're wanting to do, what they want to do is best served by being in Los Angeles. Do you want to come with us? I'm like, hmm, I'm studying music business. I, got, I am, have walked on, but I'm doing well enough that I'm going to get a scholarship. Well, my school paid for. I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's bail. So I drop out of school and <laughs> LA baby. Oh man. So LA baby. Anyway, we're pushing up against our timeline here. We can get into that where things go from there another time. The episode after this, I think we're gonna get roost on here again. So that'll be good. You've seen Tiger Tiger King? Tiger King. Is that on what Netflix. it's yeah. yeah, Tiger King. So I you heard all about it. You know, it was the rage of what, a couple of years. I don't know. With COVID, my whole timeline is so messed, so messed up in up. life. But yeah. anyway, whenever Tiger King was, was really booming, I finally sat down and watched it and I was severely entertained, but I was also really un weirdly uncomfortable. Right. And I realized that I think that we were like that a little bit growing uh -huh. up. Right. We had exotic animals and uh, why I would hope hope, hope so bad that that's not what everyone, what we look like to the world. Maybe we <laughs> Maybe did. Maybe we did. I don't but know. But I know for sure some of our friends were like that. Yep. 100%. So I think this next episode, when we get Rooster on here again, I think we're going to need to get into the exotic animal phase of our growing up because we did go through exotic animals and we did have some connections with literal tiger kings. People who would have fit into that show very perfectly. Perfect. Yep. So, so that's what's going to be coming coming up in that next episode. We'll have Roost on here again, and then maybe we'll we'll pick up some at some point with some of my Los Angeles stories, and then how I ended up 
going from that to, to dental school and then and back here to Montana. For those of you who have, have reached out and, and you know, given us encouragement, we really appreciate it. It means a lot. You can email us at steady at the wheel podcast at gmail.com. We have been telling you steady at the wheel.castos.com was the website. I think it was that. I could be totally wrong, but it is not. Yeah. It's steady at the wheel, but between each word is a hyphen. Steady hyphen at hyphen the hyphen wheel dot castos dot podcast dot com. So anyway, that's kind of a pain in the butt, but something else I'll just want to add real quick. Huge thank you for the for the feedback and for the positive reinforcement. I think this brings back a lot of good memories for a lot of people and just provides people that don't have those memories. They still seem to find it like, what? This is this is interesting. But if you can, if you can remember, I know it's just an honest mistake that, that even I, I forget to do sometimes with with content that I enjoy. But take the time, if you would, to to rate the podcast, you know, give it a rating. And then if you'd also comment on it, if you don't like the podcast, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but if you like it if you could just take a minute and just write what you like about it so when other people are perusing they'll they'll heed your word if you want to touch jackson's world yeah you can uh, you can as always check out the youtube channel at wild wild west and uh, on instagram there's usually pretty regular content on instagram at shamanush s-h-u-m-u-n-u-s-h if any of you hear something we're talking about and wonder if you'd like more information about it for us to talk about in the podcast, let us know. Or if, you, if you're like, man, you're talking about that. Do you have any pictures of what you're talking about? We do have older pictures of things here or there. We tried to post that a little bit on Instagram, for instance. like the, We talked about those irrigating bikes you know, with the shovels on back. I was walking around town and I found one. And then Jackson actually sent me a picture of him on one. So that's on the Instagram page. So if there's anything we're talking about and you're like... You know, do you have a picture of that? We we very well may have a picture yeah. of that somewhere that we could post on and there. It's fun to be interactive with you. You know, to to be able to help uh, provide what you're uh, what you're looking for. All right, you guys, thanks, and uh, yeah, I think that next podcast where we get into exotic animals with roost, that I think you're going to enjoy that one. 